Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the show. Today uh, I've got with me Jessica Burley from Planet A Ventures. Hi Jessica. Hey Raphael, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad you joined. I mean, I've witnessed you um, firsthand presenting, or I saw you first time, I think, at Hack Summit, the excellent Hack Summit, um, talking about biodiversity uh, and nature-based solution investing. And then I think I bumped into you a couple of weeks later at the amazing Change Now, talking about humans and the oil and plastics and all that kind of uh, all that kind of domain. So you've definitely been flying the flag for Planet A uh, all around Europe in your talks, and I found them super insightful. So I thought, hey, we need to have you on. So thanks for joining. Thanks so much for having me here. Really excited to be here. So before we get stuck into the amazing companies and, and work that, that you've been doing in Planet A, where did this start for you? Like, how did you end up in this domain? Yeah, sure. So I would say I've been more consistently focused on environmental sustainability uh, and only more recently changed to the, the finance investing side, which is a little bit uncommon for VC. Uh, but I, I actually started out more concerned about social impact, social justice. So I grew up in quite an unequal part of East London. Uh, not anymore due to the gentrification that, that I'm sure you're aware of in London. But when I grew up there, I was really concerned about inequality. And then this concern changed more to climate when I, when I learned more about how much it impacts those on the margins. Uh, I remember when I was younger reading the statistic that the UN had that 50 million refugees would be environmental refugees by 2020, which just like really stuck with me. And I, I really wanted to do something to tackle this. And I thought at the time that the only way to do that would be policy because, well, at that time, countries were constantly breaking their commitments. I mean, they, they still are, but, but then it was really quite in shambles, the, the international policies on, on climate. Uh, and so companies had no real sticks or carrots to incentivize them to make change. There wasn't like, I felt there was so much interesting things happening in, in innovation at that time. So I, I actually studied politics and international relations and always focused as much as I could on, on environmental sustainability. Uh, and then I left university and I, I followed this track uh, and I did some research work at the UNDP for a program that was financing climate entrepreneurship. So I, I sort of followed into the international development side. And uh, ultimately, I felt that I was more suited to somewhere a little faster paced uh, and a little bit more flat hierarchical. And in my free time, I was actually uh, freelance writing the European chapter for the first textbook on cellular agriculture. So that's lab-grown meats, uh, as I found this topic so, so interesting. Um, and I got really quite blown away by, by how much one new technology could shift an entire market. And so I, I wanted to, to go into the more entrepreneurial side. Uh, and I also wanted to move to, to Berlin for, for personal reasons, but also because the, the self-starter scene there is just like incredible and felt like every third person I met was working in a startup and it got me very excited by the space. So I, I followed the crowd and joined a, a circular economy startup in Berlin. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but while I was there, they, they were not having the greatest success with raising capital. So it also brought to my attention how important finance and venture capital is to these early ideas getting um, propelled and, and brought into reality. And so I, I realized also that my time there was quite limited uh, with the lack of fundraising. Uh, so I wanted to work in, in VC. I, I thought that it suited my skill set quite well as well um, and very attractive in, in that it's both analytical, but you also have a, such a human side um, and so much interaction in your day-to-day. -day. 
uh, it really attracted me. And I was really lucky in a way. I think it's it's very true when people say it's very hard to break into VC. And everyone told me this. <laughs> um, and I, I was really lucky to be connected to a man called Lawrence Leishner. So he's a Syrian entrepreneur. He founded Rebuy, which was Europe's largest electronics refurbishment platform. And then Tier Mobility, which um, probably know at the time was one of the fastest growing European uh, green tech unicorns. Um, and he committed 100% of his stake in Tier to reinvest in the climate ecosystem. So he was really he is really driven. He still is doing this. But um, I effectively was his first full-time hire to, to help build this this kind of fund of his money from tier into, well, from more angel investments into more of a fund as, as we really shared this vision on, on how to tackle climate. And uh, we made 16 investments in the year I was there. So I learned really a lot. Um, and through this, I Whoa. also met Planet A um, and was super impressed by their unique approach uh, to, to measuring impact, which I'm sure we'll touch more on later. Um, and they were looking to expand their team. I was also looking for, for more of a sort of large full-time team. As I, I mean, Lawrence manages to juggle an incredible amount of balls at one time, but he was still CEO of a, a unicorn, so quite, quite a busy man. Um, and so I... Yeah, I, I joined Planet A. Um, it's a very untraditional route to VC, but honestly, I find that a bit of this policy understanding is often coming up to, to support in that a lot of the green tech markets we're looking at are shaped by policy. Um, and then also research is uh, quite transferable to, to understanding the new exciting technologies we're looking at. Um, Completely. Yeah. So, so, I mean, for you then, you were more enticed and excited by the private market opportunity rather than sort of driving through the sort of public regulation side or, or political kind of negotiation side, I guess, and all, all which are also critical, right? But uh, you found this more, more of an appealing um, route to make impact? Yeah, I still believe that supportive policymakers are incredibly critical to the transition. But I, I think that it's a slightly different landscape now in that there are enough there is enough momentum and policy to create these opportunities in the private sector. And of course we can't let that momentum drop and it needs to improve. And I have so much respect for those working in this space. But for me personally, as a young person who wants to see my own individual impact in, in maybe quite a selfish way, that yeah. I'd love to to be able to really you know work with people on the front lines of making change um and it's it's a bit slower to to start off your career in a big uh, international organization which of course shouldn't move hyper fast or let a, a recent graduate <laughs> lead, lead it <laughs> i don't know i sometimes wonder if we could do with a, a lot more younger people at the top to be honest but just quickly I, like i think it's a very inspiring story for lots of young listeners or people that are really keen to get into vc i mean amazing the way the 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 16 investments in a year that's a huge amount um first of all but ha but what what advice would you give or do you give to to other graduates or people that are just really ambitious and, and want to yeah break into this domain like uh, are there any takeaways from your experience yeah i i think mine is an untraditional route but increasingly untraditional routes are being accepted in, in venture capital but i would also say that it venture capital isn't the the only way to, to have change and um, definitely very far from it. So my, my advice would be also to just really develop your own talent. Um, if that's science, then, then that's really 
also a great route into venture capital because I think increasingly we also need technical people to make the analyses of these very deep tech hardware, often startups that we're looking at. And, and so I think it wouldn't be to sort of try and focus on how to get into VC, but rather how to uh, develop your own specific talent and use it in climate. And, and then often I think it's a bit easier to get into to VC if you have actually worked in uh, operating role and, and been in startups and had impact that way as well. Yeah, that exposure, I think, is something VCs really look for is someone who who's also, um, you know, maybe understood the, the startup journey and been part of some kind of early stage venture or growth stage scale up or something yeah. that that's quite valuable. And from the networking side, like how did you first, um, did you have to kind of cold outreach to to get this first kind of um, role, if you like, investment role pre-Planet A, or did it just really happen organically? I, it was honestly just extremely good luck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I, I knew someone um, who was working at Tier, who was um, also investing alongside Lawrence mm-hmm. um, with with his own family money. And um, and I, I was sort of saying to a friend of his, actually, um, my, my dream job, um, thinking it would be uh, just a, a general conversation about uh, mm-hmm. I, ideal <laughs> yeah. dreams, and and he was like, oh well, I'll just connect you to <laughs> the person that that's doing this. So it amazing, was very it's a case now. of like putting it out to the universe, and it answered. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, guys, everybody, everybody, stay uh, believers, believers, because it, it, it's possible. Yeah, I think uh, I mean Gary Player, who probably no one uh, would would know, uh, is an old golfer, and he used to say, the more I practice, the luckier I get, and mm. I kind of like that because um although there was a bit of luck you were obviously already in circles uh, or or had put in a lot of graph to kind mm-hmm. of get yourself in a position where you're having those conversations so uh, i think mm-hmm. that it does it doesn't hurt to kind of you know reach out to to different people that are open to connecting and i noticed you're open to connection on linkedin which is really refreshing and nice and how i think it really should be for 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 vcs because um it's it's tough sometimes i think for for founders when when they're supposed to have some sort of warm introduction mm. all time to anybody um but i think that's maybe part of what's attractive about this domain there seems to be a lot of camaraderie and really amazing people who are slightly more collaborative would you say or or is that something you've witnessed in in early stage venture for for climate yeah i obviously have a strong bias here but it's definitely something that that i i often say and i i do believe um Maybe just first to touch on on the the LinkedIn. It's I, I think it's super important also to get a di- more diverse um, set of innovators to to reach out to you if you're not just looking through through warm intro. So that's why I'm trying mm-hmm. to trying to stay open to anyone via any um, route. Um, and we also have on our website a way that founders can apply, and we we look through every single one of those and give it each its um, due due course of analysis um and, and and then maybe on the the more the ecosystem side uh I, I definitely feel that at least from my experience which has also not been in generalist vc so it's hard to speak to this but it seems like a lot of us have a true passion's not the right word but a, a, a true mission to, to to tackle climate so there's a little bit more than just making profits uh and and so a peer wins in terms of getting a great uh innovation to scale then this is really a win for us all in in a sense as we're, we're mm-hmm. getting closer towards our, our climate goals so 
in a in a way, I feel that there is more more collaboration and more mutual um, feeling than than if we're all just looking for you know profit driven only. And in that case, it's it's a little bit more. I could imagine at least things I've not worked in it, but a bit more competitive. <laughs> You've never had to deal with that, so uh, that's, that's, that is really inspiring to me to know that people can start a career and completely be um, impact from day one. I mean. Yeah, this is just amazing, and, and and how I hope it really just continues to accelerate. So you are you find yourself at Planet A. Thank you for taking us through that whirlwind uh, tour of your uh, your early career. Uh, first of all, obviously, what a great name. Uh, there's no <laughs> there's no Planet B, so Planet A Ventures um, makes a lot of sense if you've ever seen the uh, the kind of um, activist uh, cardboard cutout being held above their head. And there's no Planet B. Mm-hmm. So uh, pl- how did Planet A um, Ventures come about? I, I remember seeing something I think in early this year, like from TechCrunch, around you you raising 160 million or, or or something of that nature, and I was just like, whoa, this is awesome. So um, um, do you know a little bit of, of, about how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we we technically closed the fund in, in January, but um, it was of course a lot of behind the scenes work and a lot longer than this in reality. It sort of came together from um, Friedel Friedel Desner. So he founded a successful software company before, uh, and then um, went on a sort of documentary uh, making trip to India. He wanted to, to do something more in the media side and uh, just saw the the absolute um, deprivation of the, the people there from from climate disasters that was already occurring. So there was uh, people there who, who were actually trying to commit suicide so that their family would get some payment from the government because their land was no longer producing crops it was no longer fertile um and they, they didn't even really know the word climate change right but then yeah it, it was really just shocking i think and and drove him to to want to do something and he was put in touch with uh lena tiat who mm-hmm. um who who's got this background more on impact in like impact and policy and um, quantification of that impact so using life cycle assessments which are it's this way of measuring impact of a product from from cradle to cradle, so from first life, second life, third life, hopefully, um, and all of the emissions, resource use, waste, uh, biodiversity impacts um, that this product has, so that we're not just being um, like using one metric, but rather considering mm-hmm. environment as a holistic whole, uh, and so. This sort of sparked the idea of, of rather than just he had this background in, in entrepreneurship and innovation, she had this background more from the science side, and, and they found others with the same vision and also uh, mostly seasoned entrepreneurs and investors, so more from the innovation side um, mm-hmm. to, to form the investment team. And, and yeah, they, they over some time raised this fund um, to pioneer a science-based approach to venture capital. So really putting the planet first and challenging the status quo of how we approach venture capital. Um, and to do this, the, the VC firms, I think we're at least one of the, the first, um, to give veto power to the science team in investment decisions. Um, so if there isn't a positive environmental impact, the, the deal is really off. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a fun potential point of friction. I don't know, have you ever witnessed that? Have you guys had to veto one yet? Or uh, is everybody playing ball? Yeah, so we, um, 
we've tried to avoid where we put in all of the work. So it takes a lot of work to get it to an ICM. Yeah. We try to avoid putting in all of this work to get to an ICM to then have a veto. I think it has happened maybe once, um, but ultimately we really integrate the science team throughout the, the process of due diligence so that they call it off before we get to that point. So we, we already, as soon as we have a startup that we want to take from first call to, to second call and more screening, uh, we get the impact team to give a rough calculation of a rough indication. And then if we then uh, want to go deeper, then we get the impact team to do um, a more deep analysis. We save the life cycle assessment until we've signed the docs because, um, frankly, it just takes a, a lot of uh, capacity. Interesting. Uh, one took 300 hours. <laughs> yeah. They're very they're, long they're... white papers and, and yeah. very, a lot of hard work goes into them. So we don't want to, you know, do them if we're actually... To stop actually... <laughs> the kind of money from happening, basically. <laughs> so you need the scientific guys to sign off and then the life cycle assessment is kind of post-completion or during during completion itself to, to stop kind of... Yeah, but that would be rather yeah. frustrating because these are quite substantial documents. I mean, they're 50, yeah. 20 pages of uh, scientific um, analysis mm-hmm. of each of the investments. So, uh, and they're, they're publicly available. So you can go to Planet A Ventures website. You can take a look at one of the pork portfolio companies. Uh, ICM stands for Investment Committee Meeting. Uh, and, and basically this, this committee is basically signing off on the investment and then, um, you know, deciding, okay, this has got impact because the scientific team says it and there and, and we love it and we want it to do well and we we believe this is a good investment financially and so then the investment happens and then then this life cycle analysis is done presumably it doesn't end there so like ha- do you ask special things from those I guess you need to ask a lot of data from the companies to, to even do the life cycle assessment. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. So the the life cycle assessment, um, and, and you got it, you got it completely correct. Um, the life cycle assessment is um, almost sort of a value add, and and that it's very useful then for them to take into um, sales and PR and comms and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does take a little of their time. Uh, we try and do most of the work ourselves and keep our questions to. The, the minimum that we can. Um, but we're also an Article 9 fund. Uh, so that means that it, it's this EU regulation so that um, it's a little bit more official that we're really making investment decisions with the consideration of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this has also uh, more reporting requirements. We have to ask about DNI policies, um, ESG policies, and, and so on, and have a bit of reporting there. Um, and we also work with the founders to help them set these. So, so we also believe that these are not just sort of box checking um, and uh, red tape and, and so on, but rather that they're actually adding value. You know, we, we've seen m- many reports on the value add of having more diverse teams um, mm-hmm. on on. ESG in effect is just a shareholder risk uh, issue. So it's actually reducing their own risks if they're compliant with, from an early stage. And, and so, yes, we, we do have some reporting requirements, but we also like to see it as some value add rather than just uh, um, 
time wasting. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd imagine it's also this scientific rigor is probably a large part of the thesis that allowed you to raise such a large first time fund. Mm -hmm. Because really, I think there's a lot of sophisticated investors um, that are that are or even pension funds, etc., that, that might be, you know, wanting to deploy capital into VC, but be able to actually demonstrate that it's also driving positive outcomes beyond the balance sheet of, or, or, or just a financial return for them. So it maybe even is also a, a, a really nice way to get into the weeds with a brand new portfolio company, because you need to really understand their business quite intimately, which which is kind of sometimes overlooked, I guess, mm -hmm. the excitement of the deal. And, and then like, like, how do we help them maybe with some um, introductions, etc. But you're really getting into the nitty gritty with these reports. Ha have they ever caused friction or challenges? Uh, 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 or maybe you don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> I'm just interested because uh, is this do you think this will become the norm? Yes. Yeah, so, so sort of two questions, there, I suppose. And yeah. definitely, um, uh, it's caused friction, but this is not friction in a personal sense, but rather actually I would see very value adding to our due diligence process in that we have one team whose job it is, even if we are all driven by impact, it's our job to find the most scalable solutions in this space. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the impact team's um, role to question that um, and, and not really care about the scalability, but only the impact. Mm -hmm. um, and so it causes a lot of really useful debates um, that get us closer and faster towards a decision. For, from where I sit, often I think of the impact team. I mean, they're obviously so much more, but they're really just a very useful resource in that they are very very smart people with science backgrounds um, looking into the deals that I find exciting um, and, and often come across um, things a, a bit faster because obviously a VC or your biggest constraint is time. You, you have so many deals all the time that it's very hard to um, give each one its due sort of research. Um, and, and so it's really useful to have this extra capacity of someone else looking at these deals. And, and then, of course, we, we have disagreements over it, but these disagreements usually come to a very useful decision or a useful discussion, at least, um, and, and I think lead to more informed decisions. So, so yeah, it definitely causes um, some friction, but no, nothing um, nothing personal, more, more just like um, useful discussions. And, and we really have like a culture that enables us to have um, disagreements across the company without without that being really a problem. And then... Uh, in terms of whether we hope that it uh, becomes the norm, 100%. Like, I think our vision is to contribute to an economy within the planetary boundaries. And that's not something that we can do alone. We really need to um, call on everyone to to be more rigorous. And, and we're seeing it increasingly that a lot of impact VCs are uh, incorporating some measurement or, or some science-based methods to, to assess the impact um, beyond just um, seemingly climate um, but together, we're really, I think, much stronger in our ability to fuel these scalable businesses to, to try and fight this ongoing crises um, in environment. And you're not like a sector or domain specific. You're a, a generalist fund for people that are listening. Like what what kind of characteristics, what stage, what size, mm -hmm. what what location um, do you 
do you need to be in um, to to approach Planet A, or what what is Planet A looking for um, yes. as for an investment? Happy to to share. So yeah, we, we're generalists across green tech, so we look at it holistically, uh, not just climate crisis, but we're in greater planetary one uh, of our biosphere, endangered by all of the crises of pollution, climate, biodiversity, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're looking across divide this into sectors of climate mitigation, waste reduction, resource saving, and biodiversity protection. But we're looking across all sorts of different companies within that. Um, Software as well as hardware. So we're quite um, unusual in that we're able to do um, quite a significant part of our fund in hardware, either being like um, hybrid solutions where it's uh, hardware but enabled by software or where it's like really deep tech hardware. Um, And we invest from pre-seed to Series A, um, and we're looking for companies predominantly in Europe, as this is where we think we can bring the most value, as it's where our network is from. And um, does, does that answer most of your questions? <laughs> I, I... <laughs> it does mine. Um, okay, but, uh, you mentioned the planetary boundaries, and that's oh. something that, that, that has definitely come up, you know, a, a few times here. But for, I was just thinking for someone that might be new to the podcast or, or new to this whole domain and interested in that, what what are you talking about there? Yeah, so planetary boundaries is a, a framework um, to just describe the, the limits um, to the impacts of human activities on the Earth system. Uh, so beyond these limits, then then the environment can't self-regulate anymore. Uh, so this isn't just talking about um, one aspect of pollution, but rather talking about all the different aspects that human activity can impact the planet. Um, and, and there's some really nice research on where these lie. Um, I, I'm not going to attempt to summarize it currently as I, I think it would be better um, better explained also by visuals that you can find online if um, the Google search, which I would encourage you to do rather than <laughs> listen to my shoddy explanation. <laughs> no, I, uh, I think it's a nice explanation. Basically, um, yeah, there's a great visual and um, Donut Economics is always a really good starting book, mm-hmm. I think, for people interested in in you know, planetary boundaries, how the economy can transition into not only helping uh, be more socially progressive, but also to make sure that we're building businesses that actually work, uh, you know, uh, for the future, rather than using up all our resources. So are there any sort of particular areas that you, uh, I guess, it's kind of fun to be generalist to a degree in that you don't, you're not just doing one specific domain. So are there, uh, do you find certain areas of green tech more exciting? Um, are there areas where you see that you really would like to be investing that, that, that maybe are, are growing faster or offer are promising very uh, exciting impact results and, and growth results for founders? That's a, that's a great question. I think um, it's worth noting that we, we also sectoralize between the um, investors in our investment team. So uh, we get this deeper understanding of each sector by by each taking um, a, a few different topics. Uh, and I'm looking at energy um, and transport. So that includes sort of heating and cooling solutions as well as um, the renewable energy and uh, long duration energy storage um, and, and different transport mobility solutions. Uh, and I also look a lot at um, things to do with nature-based solutions and biodiversity um, and carbon markets and uh, financial climate measurement tools. So there's a, there's a bunch of different things that sort of fall to my table anyway. But in, in general, these are the topics that I look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as a fund, we're looking, the majority of our deal flow tends to be 
in uh, climate mitigation, as this is just where the majority of innovators are working and also where I think the majority of public attention is, uh, which obviously enables scalability because there is more policy pressure, there is more public pressure. And, and so this is where we're, we're seeing a lot of growth. Um, that being said, we are also actively looking into water and biodiversity and other waste solutions. Um, but so far, I'd say our portfolio is mostly, um, bar a few investments, um, mostly focused on climate mitigation. Um, but all of yeah. them are really important from an impact perspective. And that's, this is the importance of money um, moving into diversity, nature, tech, uh, et cetera, because one of the evaluations for any VC will be like, well, can we get it, you know, help this company grow? Can we get it to the next position of financing or where we can, and can we attract, help attract uh, significant capital? Because obviously series B or C or whatever, it's going to take potentially more money depending on the, how that company is scaling. You know, a lot of, a lot of VC um, investments tend to be in companies that, sacrifice profitability for growth at least in the uh, kind of early stages of the venture until it can be um you know exited i guess uh, for 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 you know some awesome outcomes for your investors your lps but um i think what you said was really good point in that we've seen so much investment into climate that maybe that that factors that you there's more confidence there in in those companies finding follow-on capital would you say that's fair yes for for full-on capital it's definitely fair to say that i think it's too early to say if there is going to be a, a lack of um full-on capital for for other solutions as they're just not that many other solutions looking for growth stage capital at the, the current stage that i know of at least mm-hmm. in, in sort of biodiversity and water there's um it's just that the market is predominantly climate and i think even within just the more narrow focus on carbon there's still there's still definitely a market gap in growth capital for for climate i think there's a lot now early stage funds and really propelling this early stage development but i think ctvc published some results on last year's growth finding that there was still an overall growth in volume of startups being supported but the amounts being pumped into growth stage companies was was a cause for overall decrease in, in the market size. So mm-hmm. I, I would I would definitely see this as like a, a concern, especially at the current stage. Ultimately I think that there's a lot of sectors that are more maybe even exciting in this macro conditions because yeah, the, there's sectors that are becoming policy priorities like energy independence mm-hmm. um, and uh, a lot of these policies are still being um, committed to in uh, uh, terms of like subsidies, allocations, the IRA and uh, and in Europe comparable uh, policies. Um, and so we're really in a, in a good position, I think, to to continue growth despite these difficult macro conditions. And you've got some really interesting um, portfolio companies uh, we definitely don't have time to go through all of them because there's quite mm-hmm. a quite a number um, but perhaps you might want to just um, give one or two examples of ones you're close to in that that are worth um, knowing about yeah sure yeah um, so may- maybe on the energy side an example of um, a deep tech hardware uh, company is GA drilling so their technology give us access to permanent supply of renewable heating and power by exploring supercritical geothermal energy. So the team has developed a novel plasma drill. It's a a new type of contactless drill that destroys hard rock using high-powered plasma pulses. 
and, and this means that we can really access geothermal in more places than just Iceland, but rather across 90% of uh, the Earth, which is extremely uh, exciting because, uh, as we all know, renewables are generally intermittent, so wind and solar isn't there all the time, um, and we need thereby a baseload, a constant energy, which historically we've got from from nuclear, but mostly from oil and gas, and so uh, geothermal could really uh, meet this in a in a green way. And and then maybe on the more transport side, we invested in Hived, which is a company offering a novel approach to delivery services and logistics, um, which is built from the bottom up to be highly efficient on an electric mobility, 100% emission three electric mobility, uh, Mm -hmm. leveraging smart logistics network and streamlining the, the movement of goods. And this approach means that they can be much lower cost than the, the fossil fuel powered solutions and much better quality, much also better user experience. But the, the longer term vision of this is not just to do deliveries, even though these are now very fast growing and, and causing a, a lot of um, fossil fossil fuel powered transport, but actually to enable the circular economy. A lot of circular models are, are popping up at the moment, but it's very hard to do this without a cheap and efficient way of transporting goods between houses. Um, currently, the, the price of doing this is off-putting for a lot of these models um, and, and killing them, in effect. So having a seamless, convenient, cost-efficient movement of good, they can leverage this network and um, this dense network to, to enable this movement of um, whether that be reusable packaging or, or sharing peer-to-peer um, or uh, many, many different business models that are, that are coming about in this sector. Super interesting. Yeah, I, I read somewhere about like how many parcels are like going to be delivered by, mm-hmm. I can't remember the number, unfortunately, but like by 2026, it's something insane. So I yeah. think it's going to essentially double over the, over the sort of the next few years mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of pe- people just, you know, want to want that convenience of clicking on, on, on a product or something, having it delivered. I love the idea of the vision basically supporting these companies to be much better at the circular economy side because I've pretty much completely stopped buying stuff from Amazon, (laughs) certainly in Singapore, because you can order something and it just seems to be um, just its own sort of mini climate catastrophe in terms of the <laughs> level of packaging that they put on stuff. So I'm sure there's a bright future for Hived. Uh, I mean, looking ahead, are there any you know goals or aspirations for, for yourself in Planet A, um, you know, in terms of the portfolio or areas that, that you hope it expands into? You know, what's your, what's your vision for the future? Is this, are you feeling that you, we're going to see a big increase in venture in Europe and beyond? Yes, absolutely. Um, I definitely see. So the, the vision for Planet A uh, is, is still being discussed. I think there's, there's many different possibilities, uh, but we're really sticking to our core of propelling uh, scalable businesses that, that can change the world effectively um, and being an enabler to them. So we're also really working on portfolio support beyond beyond just the the giving them capital and, and letting them do their thing. We, we really want to be there and support them to help with talent acquisition and PR and comms and opening up our network and our LPs as well, which include quite a few different institutionals and, and quite a few um, great serial entrepreneurs um, to support where, where, need, where needed. So I think this part of... Um, Planet A is something that we're, we've developed in-house, but now we're really getting to prove because 
so so as we said, we only closed in January, and so uh, we've made nineteen investments now uh, from also the first from also the first and second closing. So it's not that we did that in the last <laughs> few months. Um, yeah. Thankfully, that would have been a <laughs> quite quite tiring. But so so now we're really getting to prove this um, value add as well, and I think. Like as a, a wider vision, we're always going to stick to this idea of pioneering science-based approach to, to venture capital. And and then I suppose m- my own aspirations, I suppose, is also the same. In effect, I'd, I'd love to get more involved in and support these founders who we've we've done the, the work of finding and choosing. And now we get to really see flourish and, and grow. And it's really exciting to, to get to be part of that journey in, in a sense. Even if only contributing a small amount, we, we get to support as, as much as we, we can. It really is. And I think you're contributing a great amount, like from all the talks and things that I've seen and, and um, just the interactions that, that I've had. So thank you for telling us your story. Thank you for taking us through your amazing um, sort of uh, rocket ship career straight into <laughs> straight into venture, inspiring the next generation of uh, female venture capitalists um, in the impact domain. And thanks for taking the time to take us, uh, take us through your learnings and your insights here. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show, Jay. Jessica. The pleasure has been mine. Thank you so much for having me and for all of the really insightful and fantastic questions. Really enjoyed (laughs) it.